Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to read with you uh, two, just two scriptures today from Hebrews chapter 12, because it's in Hebrews 12 that we actually see the Bible teaching us how to have faith and how, how to have strong faith. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read two verses. Well, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Would you raise your hands with me one more time? We're going to pray. God, we just pray that you would speak to us today, Lord. Fill us, God, right now. We pray there would be like a portal overhead, over this church, God, where you are pouring out your grace, pouring out your goodness, pouring out your knowledge, God. And I pray today, God, that our, our, our faith is filled, God that you would make us faithful in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that um, you, you would help me, God, to speak with clarity. I pray, God, you would help all of us, God, to receive your word, God, with conviction and with faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. Amen. You know, a couple of years ago, I was on a family vacation, and we, uh, we do different types of road trips. We, we did this one road trip where we were driving across northern New England. So we started in Maine, cut through New Hampshire, Vermont, and ended up in upstate New York. And while we were in Vermont, we did a fun thing. We were just driving, and it was just one of those, we weren't really planning this, but we came across one of those um, cold mountain rivers. Uh, and uh, we just saw people swimming in it, and it was cold. It was cold. We decided to jump out and check out the water, and I was like, I can't believe people are swimming in this water. But we just wanted to make some memories, so we had a good time. And I just saw this, this giant boulder, this kind of cliff kind of thing, and I was like, man, it would be cool to like jump off that boulder into the water. But I'll be honest, I was not really feeling it. Like I wanted to do it, but I was a little scared. I'm kind of a safe person by nature, so I wasn't really interested in just jumping off a cliff into the unknown. But then I saw something. I saw people on the boulder jumping off into the water. And you know who I saw? I saw little kids. Little kids doing it. And then their dad would do it. And I was like, man, if that dad can do it, I can do it. I got my kids here. I got to make sure that I'm not being, you know, punked by this, this other dad. So I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I jumped off this boulder into the unknown. I really, I couldn't see the bottom. I had no idea if I was going to smash my kneecaps, but thank God nothing like that happened. But I'll tell you, there's something about seeing other people do things that gives you faith. That's what happened to me. When I saw those little kids jump off that boulder, I was like, if that kid can do it, I can do it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, my kids beat me to it. My kids were running up that boulder. I couldn't believe it. They jumped off that thing, and they were just so filled with faith. Why? Because they saw other people doing it. There's something about getting around people that gives you faith to do what God needs you to do. And that's what I see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I want to read this first verse with you again. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, God has you surrounded. Yeah. 
God has you encircled. That's the language that we get here. We don't just have one witness. We don't have just one person who's, who's giving us faith. But God's showing us in verse 1 that there are many people we can look to that will give us faith to believe. We're reading Hebrews chapter 12, but if you were to back up to Hebrews chapter 11, you would see a famous chapter in the Bible called the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith, where you see all of these people throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, where God would reward their faith, would honor their faith. They would do impossible things. You'd have someone like Noah, who would spend 120 years building the ark, dealing with the mockery and the people making fun of him and all that. But Noah kept believing that God's word was true. God told him to do it. He exercised the faith, and he did it. In that chapter, you see Abraham. Abraham was promised as an old man that his wife, who was barren her whole life, even as an elderly woman, that she would be the mother of a child. And that child would grow and create a nation. And he would get to see that with his wife being 90 years old. 90 years old. Sometimes it takes a long time to see God answer our prayers. If you were to read through that chapter, you'd see Moses. Moses. God would call him out of obscurity and bring him back to Egypt to rescue his people as one man against an empire, the Egyptian empire, the largest empire of that time. And Moses is there declaring God has has set his people free. All of these people got to see faith in their life. And you may read that and say, yeah, but these were the giants of the Bible, right? Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, so many of these giants. But every one of them, when you read their accounts, you would see not one of them was perfect. They were just like you and I. They were just like you and I. Hear me now. They are giants now. But if you were to talk to them in that moment, they were scared. They didn't have the faith. They were struggling with it. You look at Noah's life. He was a drunkard. He, had a, he struggled with drinking. You look at Abraham's life. He had his doubts. There were times in his life he was very passive. He wasn't a great leader, this great father of nations that God called him to be. You look at Moses. Moses dealt with anger issues. Throughout the Bible, you see God using people who are imperfect. But God says, don't worry, I've got you. I'm going to surround you. I'm going I'm to cover you. I'm going to make sure you're not in this thing by yourself. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. But you also have others. You also have others. On uh, Wednesday night, on Presence Night, we had just an amazing night. I encourage you to come out on Wednesdays if you can make it. But on Wednesday night, we had a young lady who was baptized. She gave herself, you know, to the Lord, and uh, she committed her life to, to being baptized. It was amazing, her story. As she was sharing her story, uh, I, she talked about being delivered from weed. She had an addiction to weed. And... It was something that she thought she would never be able to overcome. She had been using weed for nine years to just kind of cope and deal with life. And she never thought she'd be able to let that thing go. I remember speaking to her a month ago when we were, as a church, we're in prayer and fasting. And she talked to me about this addiction she had to weed. And I remember encouraging her because I was reminded of something my mother shared with me. My mother was a, you know, a Christian, she loved God, but she still had this one area of her life that she struggled with, and she was, it was cigarettes. She, her co- convictions, her conscience said, don't do this, but she just had this addiction. And then something happened. She entered into a season of fasting and prayer, 
And then during that season of fasting and prayer, do you know what happened? Miraculously, that addiction was broken off of her. She never went back to smoking. She literally lost the desire. She could see other people smoking and never tempted her, never bothered her. There's something powerful about fasting and prayer. Well, when I spoke to this young lady who was baptized on Wednesday, when I spoke to her about this a month ago, faith swelled up in her. And she said, if God could do it for her, he can do it for me. And she said, I want to do the same thing. So that month, she started fasting and praying. And God freed her from that addiction to weed. And now she's been sober for over a month. Hasn't been touching it. Incredible. Incredible. God is faithful. God is faithful. What is it about her? She got around the cloud of witnesses. I was able to be a witness to what God did in my mother's life. And I shared that story with her. And it encouraged her. And it gave her the strength. There's a verse I want to read with you from 1 Corinthians 10.13. I'll put it on the board here. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Say he's faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. No matter what it is we face in our life, God has always given you a way out. There is no temptation, no trouble, no hardship that you're going to face that is so big and so gigantic that you won't be able to overcome it. God's promise to us here is that God has given you a way out. He is faithful. He will not allow you to to, to be defeated and destroyed by temptation. We may make the choice to go back into it, but I'm telling you, the promise God gives us is he gives you the way out. He gives you the faith to get out. So I wanna encourage you, get around the cloud of witnesses. On Sunday, you know why Sunday's so powerful? You know why Sunday your faith is filled? Because you're around a cloud of witnesses. You're hearing the testimonies and the baptism tank. You're hearing the prayers and the worship and all of our attentions on Jesus. But then something happens on Monday. We're not around the church, right? We're all, sometimes we feel like we're by ourselves. Some of us are. We don't have believing family members or believing friends. But I'm telling you, get around the cloud of witnesses. Get around the cloud of witnesses. Get around people who can say, I've seen what God has done. Because then they start building your faith. Even though you struggle and you're in a hard time, your faith can be strengthened. And just like you are in a cloud of witnesses, sometimes you are the cloud. Amen? Sometimes you are the cloud. Sometimes you're the one that is encouraging and helping other people. And I love that about this church. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story and a testimony of God's faithfulness and his provision and his goodness. You know, we saw a baptism this morning. and That was a family that had paid off a massive amount of debt. And over the last couple of years, this family had been dealing with, you know, trusting God. And, and Ryan talked about that in his testimony, putting God first in everything. Trusting God with the tithe. Trusting God with his time. Incredible what we do when we're around a cloud of witnesses. That's why I think things like church and crews and, and, and everything else that God is doing in the church is so powerful because the cloud strengthens you. You're surrounded. Amen? Amen. Say it. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. Right now, God has you surrounded. You don't just have to look to Jesus. Jesus, we look to him. We're going to get to that. But there are people in this church that God wants you to be around. And that's why I encourage you, join a crew, get involved, get into the community of the church because there's faith there. Amen? Amen. Let's keep reading. In in verse 1, there's another thing he says. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You know, sin will sap your strength. Sin will suck the faith from your life. 
right after he says, get around God's people, right? Get around the cloud of witnesses, people who know Jesus and know his goodness and his faithfulness. Now he says, make sure you lay aside some things. Lay aside those sins. Lay aside those habits that are destroying you, those persistent sins, those unrepentant sins, those things that maybe are hidden, right? Nobody else knows about them, but you know about them. They're in your heart. They're in your mind. God is saying, lay that thing aside. Sometimes these things will, will derail our faith. It will, it will hurt our faith. Listen to this in Psalm 32. David wrote this. He said, for when I kept silent, dealing with his sin, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand comes on a person and says, don't stay in this. They can feel it too. There are times I pray with a person and, and, and the sin is so apparent and you can see it on their body. You can almost see it. It's starting to affect their health and affect their, their composure. And it's weighing them down. It's almost like if it could, it would break their bones. But then they repent of their sin. Then they confess their sin, and it's like life comes back to them. Their countenance changes. Joy comes on them. They're a different person. One thing that will sap your strength, that will work, that will work against your faith, is sin. But it's not just sin. Notice, he says, when I, well, I have it over here. Lay aside every weight and sin. In other words, there's sin, but then there's weights. There's weights. A weight doesn't have to be a bad thing or an evil thing. Sometimes there are things that are okay. They're, they're not th- going to be the kind of thing that sends you to hell. You don't lose your salvation over the thing. But it's a weight, and it's just slowing you down. Yeah. It's just distracting you. It's pulling you backwards. You could be moving so much faster, but there are these things in our life that God is saying, lay that thing down. Lay it aside. It's not a sin. You're fine. I still love you. But that thing just needs to go because it's slowing you down, it's a weight. You know, every one of us is in a race. Can you imagine showing up at a race in, in, in work boots? No, you put on sneakers, right? Because you gotta lay aside some things. There's nothing wrong with work boots, but they're not designed for a race. They're not designed to run. And that's what it is with some things in our life. They're okay, they're fine, there's nothing wrong with them. But there are things in my life, I know in my life, that God has said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, it's not sinful. But you can't give all of your attention to this. You can't devote all of your time to this. There are some things in my life I know I need to check. I need to set aside. I need to put it away because it'll slow down my faith. And these are things that we've got to put aside and put down. You know, I, was, I, I love history, and I used to teach American history years ago. But there was a Spanish explorer, Herman Cortez, uh, 500 years ago, he lands in Central America on the coast of Mexico. And he had a goal. He had 700 men with him, a small army, and he was gonna set off into Mexico to conquer the Aztec Empire. But he did something pretty interesting. He came on a fleet of 11 ships. But as he got to the shore, he turned around and ordered that 10 of the 11 ships be burned and scuttled, sunk. To the, sunk into the, into the harbor. And he said, why would you do that? Because he didn't want to leave any room for retreat. He only wanted to move forward. So his men stood on the shore and watched as their, their safety net, their, their vessels were all scuttled and destroyed. God wants us 
to burn some things, to scuttle some things. There's nothing wrong with the ships, but you don't want to have that thing in the back of your mind saying, well, if things don't work out, I'll just go back to it. No, God has set you free from that. You're moving forward from that. You're not going back to it. Some things need to be scuttled. That's what I love about baptisms. I just love them. I, it's probably the, my favorite thing in the church is seeing the worship. All this is amazing, but there's something powerful about seeing a story and seeing a person baptized. Because every time you see a baptism, it's, it really is like a putting away. It's like dying to yourself and dying to your past, and then they rise to a new life. There's something powerful about that, incredible about that. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is a, what the Word says about all of us. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. God has made you new. And in this newness, in the new you, he's putting faith. Amen. And he's making you strong. And he's going to help you to endure. He's making you a tougher person. But if we want to walk this out, if we want to lay aside sin, there's three things we need to do. And I want to help you to do this, if you, if you would. The first thing to laying aside sin, and maybe this will be helpful, especially if you've been dealing with a, an area that God has been putting his finger on saying, get rid of this. Get rid of this thing. First, confess it. Name it. What is that thing in my life that I've been holding on to? What's that thing that, I, that, that when somebody talks about it or says, maybe I need to give less time to it, I get very defensive about it, or I want to protect it. What's that thing in your life? And then the Bible says, confess it. Give it to God. Tell God, God, this thing's too big. God, I need your help with this. Forgive me of this. Number two, turn from it. The, the word in the Bible is to repent of it. Repentance literally means you're going in one direction, but now you've turned to go in the other direction. So you're no longer going towards sin, but now you're walking towards the promises of God and God's purpose and desire for you. Turn from it. The Bible uses some graphic language here. It says, some people go back to their sin like a dog to its vomit. So gross, right? You would say, ugh. And that's how God looks at our sin. Don't go back to something that is so vile and disgusting and unclean. We don't see it that way. Because some of us still think we're dogs, and we're not. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're a child of God. God set you free from that. You're a citizen of heaven. That is not who you are any longer, amen? And then number three, as you turn from this, number three, thank God for his forgiveness. He has set you free. And make sure in your life, and it, there are these moments where you just say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. There's something about acknowledging what you did, but then acknowledging what Jesus did for you. He has set you free. He's washed you and cleansed you. There's something powerful about that. And I'll say this. It's not just about laying aside sin or the weights. It's not just about what you drop, but it's also what you pick up. It's not just about putting aside certain things because you know what? I heard somebody, I remember a youth leader taught me this when I was a kid. He said, the devil loves empty hands. He loves empty hands. He loves free time. He loves boredom. He loves it when you're, you have nothing to do because that's when he can start working. So now, yeah, sure, you've been set free from this, but now the devil puts something else in its place. And there are things that you and I, we're, we've set aside, we're dead to it, but then the enemy wants to put something else in its place, and God wants you to put something else in its place. And it's those good things, right? It's the Word of God. It's time for prayer. It's the cloud of witnesses that we talked about. Awesome. Awesome. 
Let's go to number three here. My, the third thing that I saw in, in Hebrews chapter 12 as we're building our faith is this one. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is beautiful. This is where God says, look to me. Look to my son, Jesus. There are so many things that will distract you. There are so many things that will pull at your attention. But God is saying, look to me. Look to me. Did we skip one? Number three? Oh, maybe not. Okay. Oh, here it is. Yeah, this is the one. I knew we were getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. And let us run with endurance. All right, we'll, we'll edit that out. I'm sure we'll find a way to <laughs> fix that. Uh, in verse one, the last part of verse one, it says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run. Run. Don't walk. Notice the language. This is not something we just sit and wait for heaven for. You're in a race. He says, run, push. Remember the first time I tried running as an adult. When you're a kid, it's easy to run. But when you're an adult, you're in your 40s or 30s, and you, you know, you've just been taking it for granted, and you get on a treadmill, you're like, five minutes, oh my gosh. You feel like you're done for. But let me tell you, the more you do it, the better you get at it. The more you keep pushing, you, you, that five minutes turns to 10, turns to 15. At first, you're doing a fast walk. Before you knew it, you're doing a full-out sprint. But there's something about running, and that's the language he gives us. Run with endurance. Run with endurance. Endurance means you're undeterred. You're not going to fall back. You're, you have this patient expectation that you're going to master whatever it is that you're facing. You will endure. You're not going to be overtaken by this thing. You are not. And then he says, run your race. I found this interesting. As I was studying this, I found the word for race in the Greek is agon. It's where we get the word agony. <laughs> your race is agony, right? God is saying, run your agony. Run your suffering. Strive at whatever it is that you're going through, run it well. Run it with endurance. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Do not stop. Notice it doesn't say stop. He says run. Keep running. No matter what, run through it. Get through it. And then he says the race that is set before us. Your race may be different from my race. And you don't get to pick your race, right? You don't get to pick your race. You have had a race, a, a, a trial, a hardship that has been placed in front of you. You don't have any control over that. See, none of us are going to be judged on the situations we're in. But we will be on how we deal with those situations and how you are able to bring up faith and trust in God and being faithful to him no matter what it is that you face. This past, um, this past week, I was talking to one of the guys that God just moved so powerfully in his life. I, I first got to know him a little over a year ago. He started coming to the church, but when he came to our church, he, he was a mess. I mean, a mess. And I, I share this with his permission, but he, he, he was struggling with an alcohol addiction that just had bound him. He was stuck in this thing. He could not stop drinking. Could not. You could try, you know, shaking him wouldn't, wouldn't help. No, no, nagging wouldn't help. He was married. It was destroying his marriage. His wife called me and said, 
pastor, I'm done. I can't. I cannot live with this man anymore. This is not the man I married. This is not the man that I want to live my life with. We have children. There's no way our life can continue with, with this addiction. And he tried. I'll be honest with you. He tried. He would show up to church, but still the drinking was there and the alcoholism just seemed to have a grip on him. But he kept trying. He kept running his race. This guy, let me tell you, he would come to church every Sunday. Sometimes he was still inebriated. He would come on Wednesday nights to prayer, struggling at his knees, just praying, God, rescue me, help me. I want to be free from this. The man jumped in the movement course, not once, but twice, not twice, but three times. (laughs) You don't need movement three times. I mean, maybe twice, but three times. He needed it though. He just said, I need to be wherever God wants me. If the church doors are open, I'm going to be there. He jumped into cruise. He jumped into finding freedom, not once or twice, but three times. He was persistent. He was enduring. He was struggling. He kept falling back into alcoholism. Finally, he got sent into a a, a, a rehab rehab, uh, facility where he was really able to get the accountability that he needed. And let me tell you, a year later, he's sober. A year later, he has not been drinking for a year. His race. His endurance had to do with alcohol, but it's different from his wife. His wife had her race. Her race was, can I forgive this man? Can I show him grace and mercy and welcome him back into our home? It's amazing to see what God did in that family because she ran her race and is completing it well, and he's run his and is doing the same. And God is still working on them. A week ago, he told me, Pastor, I gotta do, I'm dealing with the cigarette thing now. Because what did he do? He laid aside the alcohol, but he, now he picked up the cigarettes. And then he, he, he realized God is now setting this aside. So God is rescuing him and freeing him. But what I love about this is he is running his race. And now a week, two weeks later, he's no longer smoking. He's no longer drinking. His marriage is healthy. He's in church. His children are in church. It's amazing. It's incredible. And he knows, just like you and I know, he's not done yet. He's still running. He's still pushing. He still has a prize set before him, a reward that he's running to. And you and I are in the same position. Again, your race is different from his. Your race is different from mine. What is your race? And what is your hardship? I know some of you have been praying for a healing in your body. You've been praying for a a financial breakthrough. You've been trying to trust God with something very personal. And I'm telling you, keep the faith. Keep, Keep believing. Have a tough faith. You know, you only get a tough faith through tough times. And God is toughening and deepening your faith. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And here we go. Here's the fourth thing that we see. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you want to have that strong faith, that tough faith, that faith that will get you through, ultimately, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus. The language here for look is not a glance. It's not even to study. There are different words that they could have used in the Bible to talk about to study Jesus or to glance at Jesus. But the word actually means to look at Jesus with awe, to realize you are looking at someone who knows you so well and is working in you so deeply that he's the one that holds your fate, your future, your destiny in his hands. When you look to Jesus, this is who you are looking at, the one who is the founder of your faith. Again, your faith doesn't come from you. It's not something that's in your heart or it's something that's in your mind. Your faith comes from Jesus. Jesus doesn't just receive our faith. 
He gives faith. He gives you the ability to believe. The Bible says he's the founder of your faith and the perfecter of your faith. That even if you're imperfect, and even though you struggle, he gives you the faith and he's perfecting you. The way you are today is not how you're gonna end your race, amen? Amen. The where you are today is not how you're gonna finish. You're gonna finish well. Why? Because we're looking to Jesus. He's the one that's keeping you. He's the one. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was the prince of preachers, just an amazing preacher from over 100 years ago in Great Britain. And he said this. He said, looking unto Jesus means life, light, guidance, encouragement, joy. Never cease to look on him who always looks on you. Jesus is looking on you. Jesus is watching you right now in this moment. Even when you feel that you're isolated, you're alone, or you're going through this thing, and there seems to be no end, Jesus is with you, and he's looking at you. And now Jesus is saying, look to me. Look unto me. Turn your attention to me, because it's in Jesus that he's going to see you finish your race. Amen? Amen. I love the language in the King James, if I could show you this. In the King James, it says this, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's a little different, right? In the ESV, what we were reading, it's the founder and perfecter. But there's something about the King James. I don't know if any of you still like reading the King James. Uh, We got a few of you, okay. Um, uh, Here, the King James says he's the author of your faith. Have you ever thought of that? That God is like a writer and he's writing your story? He knows how your story's gonna end. He knows where your story's gonna go. You know, if I were to write my story, it wouldn't be as exciting. It would be easy. There'd be no struggles. I'd never have to run with endurance. Everything would just be coasting. I would just stand still and everything would come to me. But that's not how God is. God wants to toughen you. He wants to mature you. He wants to form you and build you and perfect you. And to do that, for you to have faith, you need to be tried. There has to be moments when you go, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how we get out of this. I have no answer for what we're gonna, how we're going to get through what we're going through. But that's where we get to say, but God does. Because he's the one who's writing your story. But that means you and I have to give him the pen, right? You've got to give him the pen. If he's the one writing the story, you can't keep grabbing the pen from him to try to put, you know, a, the ending you want on your story. This isn't, you know co-authored by <laughs> David Delacruz. No, our stories are authored by Jesus Christ. And I don't know what chapter you're in. I don't know how close you are to the end of your story. I don't know where we are in your story arc, your character arc. But I know this. He's a good author. He's a perfect author. And as you're going through what you're going through, he knows how it's going to end. So today, I want to encourage you, put your faith in Jesus. Look to him. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He will see you to completion. Look at this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The apostle Paul wrote this. He said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to complete what he started. Do you believe that? 
Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.